Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop. 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, live from the Husker 247 <laughs> online studio. We are trying to make it so that we're taking a step into the 21st century in the world of podcasting. And I'm glad to have Doug Bowman and Mateus with me here as we embark on that adventure. What's going on, boys? Just so people aren't confused. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the background, this is the first, first time we've recorded on StreamYard and somehow appropriate for us. The background is the, the Nebraska 24 seven site background. So, um, we're very, very excited about that. Uh, but other than that, I'm good. Yeah. And we, we might've recorded the best podcast we've ever done last week. So for those that were looking out for us after the Commonwealth cup, win, we did technically record a podcast. But as Andrew mentioned, we are we are in a new age where technology is important. Technology was not on our side last week. We now have the Husker StreamYard, and we have technology on our side. This should be a good podcast. Yeah, I mean, what I'll always say to everyone, you know, especially in in life and business, is you get what you pay for, and we were not paying anything for our previous <laughs> platform. And as such, do you give a lot of business advice all the time? Yeah. <laughs> Next commissions. Regardless, we're here. I guess we can start off very, very briefly because it's a little bit worn out at this point. End of the season recap, beating UVA. Big thumbs up, I guess, right? Big thumbs up. A little bit surprising uh, in how UVA laid over. But, uh, yeah, just a beat down there in Charlottesville a couple weeks ago now. Yeah, everyone looked good on offense. Tyler Bowen, you know, last last two games of the season, Virginia Tech put up 103 points. Uh, so the offense fully figured it out after the rough start to the season. Defense looked good all game. And I, I think that result, and I know we'll transition into making a bowl game, which was a huge topic of discussion on this podcast all season long. But um, I think that has fans very excited for the future, not only this bowl game, but next year when you look at the pieces on offense. And, you know, now that we're in the era of the transfer portal, the guys that you could fortify the defense with, I think, uh, you know, the end of the season looks bright for the future. Yeah, we talked about it last week, but like six and six, getting to that goal was huge for pride year two as proof of concept and uh, being able to, you know, you can only, you can only sell the vision in the future for so long before you have to show some results. And uh, I think six and six in year two did just that. Great points, gentlemen, but I don't know if you guys have ever worked in a call center before to our listeners constant you know the phone's ringing information coming in lots to process that describes evan watkins life here in the first couple of days of the transfer portal 
He's with us now. He threw his phone against the wall and said, no more. I'm joining the boys. Evan, how are you doing? The last day and a half has been the longest month of my life, but I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, no, it could it could be a lot worse. We could be looking at, you know, 14, 15, 20 portal departures like a lot of team sites are having to deal with. Relatively, it's been, it's been relatively uh, easy to manage. Just uh, like you said, a lot of a lot of talking to a lot of contacts and, and working the phones and seeing who's visiting when and where and jockeying for positions. I, I had a, I had a coach put it to me uh, recently that said the portal is basically like speed dating. You just get in there, try to give your five minute speech, see how many bites you can get back and then hope that you can get a date. So that's kind of where we are right now. And I want to touch on the transfer portal stuff in just a few minutes. But first, Doug said it. We said it all season long. Bowl game, a huge goal for this program in year two under Brent Pry. It took the buzzer beater like it has in so many years prior, beating UVA to get eligible. But the Hokies are going bowling, and now we know where. A familiar site, Annapolis, the military bowl where they'll be matched up with a team who, in my opinion, and realistically the truth, is the best group of five team over the course of definitely the last two seasons. You could really argue this season. Some people are pissed, guys. Some people are out here saying VT got snubbed. We're better than the military bowl. We're better than Tulane. To which I say, we didn't even know we were making a bowl game going into the final game. We're not really too good for anyone, especially the team that won the Cotton Bowl last year. What say you guys? How do you feel about the matchup? How do you feel about the destination? You know, for for me, uh, I feel a lot better than I would if I covered Florida State. So, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll start with that. I mean, we'll get to that later in the podcast. I, too. <laughs> but uh, but no, you know, I thought. You know, we were all talking about it in our in our group chat and in our Slack channel that uh, Mayo and uh, Military looked like it was going to be the most. Those are the two that had had the most traction for like the last week or so. So not really surprising there. What what I think is going to be very interesting to watch um, that I've been tracking and, and writing a little bit here and there for a bigger article as we get closer is. Tulane could be, and I think Doug may have mentioned this in our group chat, they could be the Virginia Tech in the pinstripe bowl where they don't have anybody. You know, a lot of their players are going to opt out or enter the portal. They have a coaching change. We have no idea what they are. But like people on the site have so delicately put it, nobody's going to care other than Tulane fans and Virginia Tech fans in about two years seven and six looks a lot better than six and seven. So go out, win the game. Doesn't matter who Tulane has, who they don't have. Um, doesn't matter who their coach is going to be for the bowl game. It, it does. None of that stuff matters. Just go win the game, get a trophy and sell it on the recruiting trail. The other comparison I, I make right now for Tulane is kind of what we talked about earlier this year with Marshall um, as a program that just knows how to win and has been really successful. They have, Willie Fritz was a great head coach for them, obviously, and uh, the quarterback Pratt. Um, 
I assume he's going to opt out at this point or transfer or maybe enter the draft, uh, but he's really, really good. But like takes a lot of other good players too to, to go 11 and two. And I think they were what 12 and one last year, 13 and one, 24 and three over the last two years. Like that's a team that regardless of who they lose, I think that's the big difference between tech tech 2021 pinstripe bowl and Tulane 2023 military bowl is there's probably just better players left over no matter who leaves. Um, so I think it's going to be an interesting test. Um, I haven't looked too much into Tulane. Sorry, Andrew. Um, but uh, you're always asking me to dive into the spend all night watch, watching Tulane stuff. What have you, you been do doing? So I don't have what? to. Yeah. What are you doing? Sleeping? Come on now. It's, it's true. And so, it is... <laughs> It is bowl season. It is sprint to sign. Are you entering the portal? You you said yourself that there's no reason to look at Tulane until later when. Don't listen to me. Yeah. (laughs) Use my words against me. Just on the surface, they're in the top 60 of FEI, and Virginia Tech has not beat a team in that top 60 all year, which is, which would be concerning. Look like they have some, uh, they're fairly high ranked in tackles for loss and sacks on the year. That's what we've talked about of uh, defense's ability to put tech behind the sticks is concerning. Um, they have a really good running back. I don't know if he's entered the portal yet, but seems like a good candidate. Um, that's a problem for Virginia tech. So we'll see what they look like as we get closer, but there's um, I think last week or two weeks ago, going into UVA, we kind of said like this is a team that matches up well with what allows Virginia Tech to have success. First glance, surface level, assuming nobody leaves, kind of thing with Tulane. It's less. I'm less certain of that. Yeah, and I'll say that Tulane. I mean, we'll see who leaves, but they have the number seven rush defense in the country. That doesn't bode well for Virginia Tech's offense. And then, as Doug mentioned, they have a freshman running back that has 1,200 yards this year. So we'll see what happens with him. But just to put a little more color on on all the bull stuff, like behind the scenes, I mean, we were we were all tapped into Brent McMur- Brett McMurphy on Twitter, Action Network. I see his mustache in my dream still because every notification I was waiting for Virginia Tech uh, early in the day on Sunday to to find out where they were going bowling. It took until I think 5 p.m. because the ACC was absolutely dysfunctional. Um, I would have hoped for this bowl season, I think like optimally the Mayo Bowl against West Virginia battle for the Black Diamond in a bowl game. Uh, obviously, that was a shocker. The Mayo Bowls usually between the SEC and ACC, uh, but the Big 12 just had too many bowl team so they gave it to West Virginia um I think that would have been absolutely incredible for the fan base but at the same time it kind of goes back to what Doug was saying at the very beginning of this podcast like this is year two of Brent Pry I think when you look back you have a very good chance against Tulane we'll see what happens with the coaching changes all the portal opt-outs all of that stuff but I think that's probably a better matchup against a Tulane team with a head coach leaving than a West Virginia team. And I think like at the end of the day, you want to build this program up and the military bowl seems like the best way to get fans in the area to attend the bowl game and then play an opponent that uh, it should be a good game. 
The one thing I'll say about the selection is I kind of feel like at at this level of bowl, like six and six, I think this is a tier three bowl in the conference. Like at that level of bowl, I want as much weirdness and funky situation kind of thing as possible. Um, Wasabi Bowl in Boston at 11 a.m. in Fenway Park would have done it for me. Um, I think 2.30 in Navy's Stadium on a Wednesday after Christmas. Uh, that does it for me in terms of like, this is just weird. It's going to feel weird to be watching a tech football game at that time. Mayo Bowl, 5.30 later that day, getting a little too traditional for me. Um, Bank of America Stadium, not, you know, kind of a bland stadium. Sorry, Charlotte. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I'm fine with with the weirdness during bowl season when you're at this level. From the from the stuff that really matters, right? The the really the the important part is the press box and the press food. <laughs> the Duke's Mayo Bowl, hands down, is better than the Military Bowl. Absolutely. And, I mean, that's 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 what you and we it could have been walking distance from Andrew's apartment. We could have all gone and stolen all of his alcohol after the game and crashed on his couch. But I, I, I will miss going to the Charlotte Beer Garden. Yes, that was I was going to say perfect opportunity for a shout. But this you can do that whenever you want. You just have to call Andrew and tell him you're coming. Yeah, that's true. All I would need is like two minutes notice because I live across <laughs> the street. Uh, so yeah, a couple of news and notes on my part are just reactions to the things you guys were saying. Uh, number one, you mentioned the stats that scare you about Tulane. People acting like we were disrespected by being matched up with Tulane. Tulane should feel disrespected getting matched up against us, realistically speaking. Like, this is a team that was bowl projections slated into a New Year's Six Bowl until they lost to SMU last week. It's a legit team. It's a team that won the Cotton Bowl last year. And under Willie Fritz, over the course of the last few years, has just really been a good program. It's almost disappointing, in my my view, if you will, that there is this fear of big transfers out. Because if Virginia Tech could beat Tulane at full strength, that would, to me, be unequivocally the best win of the season. The best win of the season. Uh, but yeah, Tuesday or I guess Wednesday after Christmas, like you said, Doug, 2 p.m. It, it did feel a little bit neurotic for me that after our, and Mate put it well, like we were all locked into Brett McMurphy. This was a group within the VT Scoop staff that was just refresh, 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 refresh. Go back to group chat. Why isn't anything happening? Refresh, 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 refresh. The moment the news came down, the moment that Colby Crawford said, I'm going live with the story, baby. American Airlines app, flight to Baltimore for the military bowl. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing? <laughs> but I'll have fun once I get there. But, you know, as far as military bowl matchups could go, though we did think the Fuente Bowl was a bit inevitable. As far as these matchups go, we got the best possible case scenario. And, you know, I, I hope for the sake of competition 
that they bring a full roster and, you know, VT can get a real test, you know, going into 2024 and that hopefully they can come away with their first bowl win since, correct me if I'm wrong, Belk Bowl, Charlotte, Fuente's first year. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. Evan and I were in the press box and we were like, this game's over. Let's just go down to the field, like whatever. And then all of a sudden, just obviously everyone remembers that huge comeback down 24 to zero against Arkansas and Virginia Tech won that game. That was the last bowl win that Virginia Tech had year one of Justin Fuente. Gerard Gerard Evans transfers and the rest is history. (laughs) On the other side of it, we, me and me and Matei were at the Belk Bowl another time, weren't we, with, with Kentucky and we went down to the field. And then Kentucky, Kentucky scored with like, I don't even know how much time was left and the game was over. And we were just standing there like trying to record something for VT Scoop after a loss. <laughs> it didn't go well. Yeah. The, the, Lynn Bowden, the Lynn Bowden punch game. Yeah. Who did he punch? Uh, it, wasn't it a D lineman? It was probably Narell Pollard still. It might have been. <laughs> It's like, yeah, I remember Narelle Pollard in that BCS game against Stanford as well. <laughs> uh, so just to wrap things up here, uh, obviously we'll have a full two-lane preview. We don't have enough information to really prognosticate at this point. Apparently Doug doesn't have, and I put this in air quotes, enough time in the day to do his research so far. Uh, but I'll ask you all, will you be there? Yep, I will be there. This will be my third military bowl. <laughs> you got season tickets to the military bowl? Or first, third military bowl. First time not watching a team named Cincinnati. At least you didn't say like third military bowl, first time watching Virginia Tech. <laughs> yeah. At that point, you'd really be a uh, college football sicko. Evan, Doug? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Matei does actually go to the military bowl every year, regardless of who's playing. It's kind of a tradition <laughs> of his. That's he my fantasy football he punishment. It on his calendar every year with a red heart. I don't know why, but he does. Well, Duke UCF last year, that was a fun game. My parents were in attendance. Uh, Doug, your silence leads me to believe that you are not going. No, I, no, I'm not going. <laughs> Just disappointed me for the last eighteen minutes. Hype it, hype, hype. The 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 you like. I keep forgetting there wasn't a podcast last week, but we talked about the UTSA projection for the Fenway Bowl. Set expectations a little too high, and then because my wife went to UTSA, and it would have been great to go to the Boston and the Fenway Bowl. Yada yada yada. A little too high expectations to then go to the military bowl against Tulane. Just tell your wife to pretend she went to Tulane. That's all I have to say. It's true. All right. So moving off of the bowl game and into more pertinent information, more timely information, the information that made Colby Crawford famous, the transfer portal. Let's start off by talking about who's leaving or, you know, as Evan alluded to earlier, who's not leaving. I guess we'll start off with APR Antoine Powell-Ryland, a little bit of a uh, teaser, if you will, the kind of video that uh, made you nervous for the first 
couple seconds, but he's staying. He's coming back. Evan, tell us about what you know about his decision-making process, what that looked like, and uh, ultimately how he came to the decision to uh, return to Virginia Tech. Yeah, so after the UVA game, like Price said he was going to do, he sat down with basically did, if you would call them exit interviews, you know, uh, with every player after after the season. Um, and one of them was obviously APR. And for him, it was never a, a, a conversation of transferring again. His was 100% uh, appreciative of Virginia Tech, everything Virginia Tech's done for him, bringing him into the program, letting him be the player that he is and, and grow in the defensive end position. A lot of appreciation for J.C. Price and Brent Pry, but he was very well known that he wanted to solicit NFL feedback. And he was going to listen to that feedback, whether it was good or bad. Um, I don't know exactly what the NFL feedback was. I don't know what round grade he got. Um, but ultimately, he and his family decided that it was not worth exploring the NFL this year for that draft grade. Um, and it was better to come back for a year and try to get uh, you know, more film, more uh, power five or more snaps, I guess, in the ACC at defensive end because he was a, more of an outside linebacker at Florida. Um, he's just his his body of work, his complete body of work is just not ready yet to solicit the type of uh, NFL draft feedback that he was uh, expecting to get or people around him had expected him to get. So that's big news for Virginia Tech getting him back. Um, and I'll tell you, over the last week or so Virginia Tech has been doing as hard of a job as they have done going out and recruiting the portal and doing the sprint to signing day by seeing all of their commits and doing all of that they have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort recruiting a lot of their players to return to Blacksburg and not try to go pro um, you know there's some guys that are looking at it there's Dorian Strong obviously uh, looking at going to the NFL um, you know, Felton has been looking at uh, going to the NFL. Uh, Jalen Lane, you have, uh, you know, you got Basial Tootin that has looked at going to the NFL. And they have basically laid out a plan for every individual player of if you come back, what we can do to help boost your draft grade. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're going to start to see how well that's rubbing off. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made uh, over the next couple of days, maybe the next couple of weeks. But I think Virginia Tech is going to is going to be able to retain a lot of their talent uh, that, you know, earlier in the year, you may have thought they might be heading to the NFL. I think a lot of that talent might be coming back. So in the NIL era, is this a situation where if you're not like a first three rounds grade or a first four or five rounds grade, it makes more sense to come back if you can, given the lack of certainty behind the money in a first year NFL contract. If you don't happen to make that team. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you, I think if you don't get a first three round grade, you really, really think about returning. If you're outside of like five and out, I don't, I, I don't see any reason unless you are truly just over college and over the college experience that you uh, would want to try and risk that in the NFL waters when you can stay where you are or hit the transfer portal, get a good amount of money. Uh, you know, I've heard from various, various people, various collectives 
various uh, people connected to different schools. A lot of the things that that NIL programs are kind of pushing now is if you go to the NFL and you're projected in that five to undrafted range, they will basically look at what a practice squad salary would be, which is which is pretty. It's, it can be pretty significant if you're a practice squad guy for the whole season and put that together in an NIL package. So you might look at going to the NFL and saying at the worst case scenario, I make a practice squad, I make $200,000 a year. You can make that in college now, staying an extra year and try to boost that draft stock so that the next year you can try to, uh, to go into the NFL draft and get drafted at a higher rating. So, you know, I think with, with NIL, I think if you are out of eligibility, you obviously go, and, or if you are uh, a one to three de- or one to three round guy, you go. Other than that, I think you really think long and hard about staying for NIL money. Two hundred sixteen thousand dollars is the max that you can make on a practice squad, um, and that's for eighteen weeks. You can, I don't know how many practice squad players stick on the practice squad for full eighteen weeks, but uh, that's kind of the what Evan was talking about as far as the the floor of. A, a practice squad player versus the ceiling of a college player with NIL. So from the outgoing perspective, are there any big names that tech fans need to still keep an eye out for at this point? What are the the big forthcoming decisions as far as the information that you feel like you're at liberty to share? Yeah. You know, the big decisions right now that are, that are set to still be announced uh, guys like, like Josh Fuga, that's going to decide if he wants to come back for his, for his COVID year, Obviously, Virginia Tech needs defensive tackles. That's a big decision that hinges on that. You know, ideally, Virginia Tech goes to the portal and grabs some bodies that can help there. Maybe you get a guy like a Kamari Copeland out of JUCO that can come in and play uh, pretty early um, and and help next year. But having a guy like Fuga as kind of a one year bridge because he's got one year left would really be beneficial to to the room. You got. Uh, Basial Tootin trying to decide if he wants to go to the NFL or if he wants to return. Jalen Lane, uh, Daquan Felton, those guys are all kind of in that same boat trying to figure out if they want to come back or not. Ali Jennings, we haven't really heard too much on. Throughout the, the, the season, we kept hearing that he wanted to come back because he needed a body of work at, at this level and he wanted to get away from injury concerns. So obviously his injury this year didn't help. So he needs another year. Um, the one thing that I think personally is interesting with him is at some point age becomes a factor, you know, and he's he's getting up there in age for a wide receiver. So I think that's one to maybe keep a little bit of an eye on. Um, you got the guys, that, the, the starting corners that everybody's always going to look at. Man, Monsor Delane, um, he in the in the NIL sca- uh, scope and in the world of poaching and tampering, there are schools that are going to be drooling all over the fact that they could try and poach him from Virginia Tech. They were trying last year. They're trying again this year. So far, no firm decision has been made there. That one's gone back and forth for a little while. You know, right now, I'd say it's probably 60-40. He stays. That's just my my personal opinion. Um, and one that we're hearing might be, you know, a little bit of winds of change might be coming Dorian Strong, I was leaning real hard to him going pro a few weeks ago. I, I wouldn't be shocked if if he comes back. You know, I've talked to a couple guys that are in the NFL scouting space, and they've they've said mostly the same thing about him. He has really good coverage ability. He's got really good speed, 
but he's not overly big for the NFL. He needs a year in the weight room to gain some weight. He needs solid weight on him um, before he can really be an every down com- uh, contributor at the in the NFL. So, you know, that's one to watch too. Can can Virginia Tech maybe throw an NIL package at him? That's worth worth it for him to come back, spend a spend another year in the weight room, try to get some more weight on him continue to have the, the the year he had this year if he continues to have that next year you know i think he's an he, he's an nfl guy either way i just think he could he could help himself if he came back another year so you know those are the main ones that we're looking at um as guys that are trying to jockey and, and see if they're going to be leaving the program maybe looking for other options more money nfl opportunities things like that so you know, we'll see how that all shakes out. But I think Virginia Tech, especially on offense, the, the corners are a little iffy to me on what's going to happen. But the guys on offense, the big skill position, key guys, I think Virginia Tech's done a great job with them. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the majority of them back in Blacksburg. Doug and Matei, from all the information we just got, who, who do you feel is the most can't-lose guy? Obviously, there's a lot of talent all around, but, you know, if you could, uh, if it's like Survivor and we give immunity to one guy, immunity from the potential of leaving, who would you pick? Uh, I'll go with two. I'll go Tootin is number one for me um, at running back as a highly, highly, highly productive running back with a, he, he elevates the ceiling of Tech's offense and there's not as much production. Um you, you like Malachi Thomas, but he's not Basil Tutin. And then the other one is Fuga. I think um, we talked about it on the on the Departed podcast. Um, but the defensive tackle position is <laughs> dire straits at this point. Um, back kind of in the same spot they were in twenty nine going into the twenty nineteen season, where they're kind of looking to thread the needle there. Um, and we talked about how difficult getting defensive tackle right in the portal is it's a position that everybody wants some help at and is highly competitive and difficult to get right. Just like the offensive line. So I think, you know, you're trying to thread the needle of what you can, what you need a defensive tackle. Um, and Fuga answers one of the questions, right? You, you need four defensive tackles. He's one of them. If he doesn't come back, you need another. Um, but if you can bring Fuga back, like Evan said, Kamari Copeland becomes, if we're using the 2019 season as an analogy, becomes the Deshaun Crawford contributor out of the out of JUCO. Um, perhaps you can get a Emmett Laws to play early as a true freshman. He's the he's the Norrell Pollard who played um, right away in 2019 because he was good enough and because he had to. And, and then I think you're looking for at least one other option to come from the portal. So, um, but if, but if Fuga doesn't come back now, you're looking for two. Hey, Doug, I think it's dicey. Hey, Doug, breaking news. Josh Fuga's back. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Wow. Exclusive. Wow. Did that really just happen? Even after Doug broke the really just happened as Doug was talking. It just happened. (laughs) I can't follow that now. So I'm just not going to. Talk. I talked it into existence, but there, there we go. The the first thread has been placed. Kamari Copeland, Evan visiting in December, in two weeks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. December fifteenth. There's the second one. Emmett Laws. Do we think he has a chance to play early? 
I'm actually uh, I'm doing an article on him coming out this week for our VIP subscribers. Evan, I don't know if you want to plug our 60% off this week, but I've been that was, watching that a lot. Was casual. I've been I've been watching a lot of film on Emmett Laws, and he's an absolute beast. So I think he could play early. Absolutely. Yeah. So if he's your three, three or four defensive tackle, Fuga's your one, Copeland's your three or four. You're kind of looking for that for a starter. I think you're looking for a starter and hoping that Copeland steps in ready to play, hoping that Laws steps in ready to play, and then maybe you get some development out of. Pinay, Madison, Lamar Law. That just reminded me. Can we please? Lamar Law has to pan out if Emmett Laws pans out because we got to have Law and Laws on the on the inside. That would be fake. But if we're dropping the promo, drop the. Is there a code for the promo? I assume. No, no promo. Just jump in there and go. <laughs> if you get it by midnight on the seventh. Midnight on the 7th, folks. The clock is ticking. All right. Other side of the portal. I know we're running against the clock a little bit here. There's going to be a bit of a shorter podcast. Uh, There are gaps to fill on this team. And if you have followed Colby Crawford, actually, let me start with this. Follow Colby Crawford on Twitter. He's got all the underscore Crawford. Colby underscore Crawford. He's got all the information. No one else does, folks. But if you've been following him, you'd see a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of defensive linemen. Tell me about any legitimate traction that's been made that we know of with these guys. Who are the top targets? If we know that, uh, I know that the transfer portal stuff kept a little bit closer to the chest by the staff. Yeah, you know, right now, Virginia Tech's put out an overwhelming amount of offensive line offers out of the portal, which I think is extremely telling about where they, they're uh, investing the majority of their time and efforts. Um, and we've heard that's that's kind of a, a full-on team approach. You know, I've heard uh, Ron Crook has been uh, basically all around the, the, the area. He's out in Ohio recently. He's been all around trying to find offensive linemen. I've also heard Tyler Bowen is flying basically anywhere and everywhere, like he did with Kyron Drones going down and getting that that done. He's been flying any, anywhere and everywhere trying to get guys uh, interested in Virginia Tech on the offensive line. So, you know, the the first one that's visited and it's probably top of the board guy is Carter Smith out of, out of Indiana. A, uh, he started, I believe, at left tackle. I think he's played both left and right tackle at Indiana. Um, entered the portal uh, with the coaching change and Virginia Tech got him on campus the first weekend he was available. So, you know, they uh, they definitely made a hard press there. Um, and this is a guy typically in the portal, I would say 90 percent of the time, if a player leaves uncommitted, that's not a good thing um, because in the portal they want to you want to make decisions fast. You want to you want to lock in your spot because there's thousands of opportunities and only a few spots or thousands of players and only a few opportunities, I should say. Um, and he visited, he did not commit, but he has said he wants to take two to three more officials. Then he's going to sit down and figure it all out um, and actually do this like a high school recruitment would have gone. You don't typically go on your first visit and commit while you're there. You take a few kind of soak it all in and see what, see what fits you the best and what you're looking for. 
Um, and Virginia Tech really set the bar high on the first visit. So he's known Ron Crook. Uh, he's an Ohio kid. He's known Ron Crook from when he was at Cincinnati. Um, he uh, connected well with Tyler Bowen, connected with all of the players um, up in uh, up in Blacksburg, and just had a really good visit. So he's going to take a few more visits. I think he's going to make a decision around that early signing period time. But it is important to remember people. Sometimes people don't remember this and what happened last year with Darian Varner. So a player in the transfer portal can sign in air quotes um, during the early signing period. But what they do is they sign a grant and aid that ties the school to the player, not the player to the school. So a kid can sign out of the transfer portal and it really does not matter at all until they enroll. That's the big, the big sticking point. We saw it last year with Varner signing with Virginia tech and then flipping. Then we saw it with Boschel Tootin going to Boston college. Then the enrollment day, he shows up on campus at Virginia tech uh, and enrolls with the Hokies. So transfer portal is always, always, always a, uh, a, a fun and exhausting roller coaster. So they've put a lot of effort at offensive line. Um, there's a good effort at defensive line. They've offered a few. Um, sounds like there's going to be uh, some D linemen on campus soon to visit Virginia Tech. So, you know, we've been we've been keeping our ears to the ground there. And then they're looking for a true linebacker. You know, we've we've been saying that for a little while that they needed a linebacker. And it sounds like Alex Howard from Youngstown State has blown up the 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 hot board for the Hokies. I think he's a guy that you key in on to see if they can get him on campus, um, which it sounds like they're going to get him on campus here pretty soon and see if they can put a, a hard sell on him because he's a guy that I think he picked up five, six, seven power five offers like within an hour of entering. So he's a guy that's going to be pretty high in demand and and he fits what Virginia Tech is looking for to a T at the linebacker position. So I want to play a game called debunk or confirm Andrew's theory. You know, I, I have a lot of people coming in and asking me, right, you know, whether it be privately or on Twitter, a guy like Chris Tyree is in the portal, a right? former big time recruit within the state of Virginia, uh, ultimately went to Notre Dame. He's back on the market. People are saying, why wouldn't Virginia Tech give him an offer? Or you have even higher caliber players than that. My thought has been in the NIL age when that is going to be something that ultimately is going to have to tempt these transfers. If it's a position where you don't have a need, you're not even going to make an attempt knowing that, you know, you're not going to allocate your resources to a position where you're already pretty much good. Is that true? Is Virginia tech because of NIL, like not even going to, take a shot at some of these skill position players on the assumption that you can get the skill guys back that you think you're going to get back. Is it really going to be those marquee positions, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker? Yeah. You know, when you look at what Virginia tech potentially could return, Chris Tyree's a really good football player. That's a great get for UVA. And I don't want people to think that I, I don't think he's a good football player. I think he's really talented, really dynamic, but, where does he steal reps at Virginia Tech if uh, if Boschel Tootin comes back and he wants to be a running back? Or if he wants to be a slot and Jalen Lane comes back, who are you 
taking reps from to give them to him. I just think that at the end of the day, a lot of transfer decisions are truly business decisions. They want to know what the what's the best opportunity for them um, to get enough playing time to to make it to the NFL. So that's the ultimate goal of all of them. So I just think that there's not enough reps at Virginia Tech uh, at either of those positions that he plays if those guys come back. The other thing I think is kind of like Andrew, I think, was saying was like, your roster has to be in really good shape to look at a a spot you have depth and you have good players at and are like you want to take a sh- you want to use one of your limited spots. I know the numbers always work out, but the numbers are limited, and, and I think like you your roster has to be at a completely different level than where Virginia Tech is right now for you to be at the point where you can look at like a Jalen Lane and say we're going to go for that upgrade from a Jalen Lane to whoever it may be. Um, so I, I just think like, like Andrew was saying, was like Chris Tyree doesn't make a lot of sense given Tech's depth there. Breaking news, folks. Things are popping. Derek Canteen has entered the transfer portal. Yeah. Rapid reaction. Yeah, not not overly surprising. This is one I, I actually talked about this for the VIP subscribers like a day or two ago that he was kind of weighing his options of potential NFL or being a hybrid role player at Virginia Tech next year or trying to go somewhere where he can be a a pure <laughs> position player. Um, and I, I mean, I think I don't think he's NFL ready yet. So I think it makes sense. You know, he wanted an opportunity to um, get more reps, get more time on the field and, you know, not just be a nickel, but maybe have a chance to be a true uh, outside corner. So, you know, I think he's going to I think he's going to play in the military bowl. That was kind of the word that we had gotten. Uh, If he did enter, he was still going to play. But, you know, I think uh, I think that's going to probably a good move for him if he wants to get exclusive time as an outside corner. I don't know that he would do that in Blacksburg. He says, I am committed to finishing the job with my brothers in the military bowl. I think Dwayne Lofton said the same thing. So oh, he's playing in the military bowl too. We'll see if he plays in it, but he's preparing he's for the, the military bowl. <laughs> Yikes. Um, my initial reaction for the canteen news is big opportunity for Braylon Johnson and Dante Lovett next year to be that third corner maybe the second, depending on what else, what else happens with those other guys. But that's a big off season, you know, the big opportunity for them to like be a de facto starter. I mean, you could be looking at a Jalen Stroman in 2022 level role in terms of snaps at that spot for, for one of those guys. And also or, or- just like looking at just Virginia tech DBU historically, you've always had experienced guys on the outside and then you bring someone up in kind of that nickel spot. They're able to kind of play all different types of positions in the defensive backfield so that by the time like they are going into a full-time role, they're prepared. And I feel like that's the best type of staggering the depth in the defensive backfield. So as you said, like I think love it late this season showed a lot more like he got a lot more reps especially in that boston college game i think putting him in a role like that is very beneficial to his long-term future 
I thought Lovett, especially against UVA too, hitting that yeah in that time in the second half was like uh, there's some some players you can visibly see like that that guy belongs there. Um, and I know it was UVA and it was 55-17 or whatever it was late, but um, I thought he looked especially good and promising there. <laughs> the other thing, I, Matei hit on it, but the staggering thing is interesting. I think, you know, clearly you would want strong Delane and can't you want your starters to return, but it does create like a cliff after next year. If you look at Regine Tech's roster um, before that news, like if Delane Strong and Canteen came back, then in 2025, you're replacing all three of your top receive, uh, corners. And the same thing potentially could happen at receiver if Jennings, Felton, and Lane come back in 2024, where you, you, you're going to have to get some development and some significant snaps even if they do come back in 2024 to to the guys below them to to give yourself some kind of like glimpse of what you have for the following year so that's a it's an interesting like underlying story of next season is how tech tech it feels like tech is loaded up here for 2024 but how do you sustain what is expected to be a pretty strong roster next year so just to clarify, you know, let's assume in the most optimistic fashion, return to lane, return Dorian strong. Now we know we're losing canteen. Are you still shopping in the portal for depth at corner? I think you do. I think you, I think so far they put out one offer, maybe two offers so far to defensive backs. I think you try to replicate a guy like Derek Canteen, a guy that can play multiple positions. I mean, we saw it this past year, what happens when, you know, some of your guys go down at safety and you don't really have a bridge there. I think, you know, finding a guy that could be an experienced, you know, G5 guy that can come in, spell reps on outside nickel uh, or even at safety is really important. Those types of players are really tough to find, but I think, uh, you know, Coach Cheetah has done a good job at identifying guys that can be versatile in the backfield, but absolutely, like, even though I'm saying, like, Dante Lovett is ready for a bigger role like we've seen it late in the season, I think you would feel a lot better if you got one more body in there that, you know, has experience. I think in the portal era, there's no reason to put all your chips on a guy stepping into a big role for the first time. So it makes sense to 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 say you know Braylon Johnson Dante Levitt you you have every opportunity to win this job but we're also going to bring in this veteran guy to compete with you and the best player will win um, kind of like an insurance policy but I also think it's going to be a little more challenging this off season than what Virginia Tech had to offer Canteen last year um, given the present I mean love it and given love it and Braylon Johnson and the other corners tech is like tech didn't have any other corners on the roster last year and could just say, look, this nickel role, we couldn't play it that you're, you're, you're the starter there. That's a, that there's nobody else to start. And, and that's not the case this year um, where they'll be trying to sell somebody looking for playing time on coming to compete for playing time, um, which is a different, different, different ball game. Okay, gentlemen, last order of business here. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to have time to 
go into the normal BS that we do. But before we do anything, I'll say, if this transfer portal news, this recruiting news means anything to you, hit subscribe on this podcast and go get a VIP subscription on VT Scoop. VT Scoop, 24-7 sports. That is where all this happens in real time, live updates. You'll know before anyone else. You can be the inside source for your friends. So subscribe to the podcast, VIP subscription, VT Scoop. But last order of business, like I said, I will recuse myself as I was the guy wearing an ACC hat and ACC shirt to the (laughs) ACC championship game. But the game that I attended and thought was consequential ended up being not so much so as both Texas and Alabama jumped Florida State. And for the first time, an undefeated Power 5 champion is left out of the college football playoff. People are screaming conspiracy. People are screaming really negative things about Kirk Herbstreet, who I personally, you know, my approval rating of Kirk Herbstreet, in my mind, has always been very, very high, but it's wavered a bit over the course of the past few days. The three of you, rapid reaction. Did Florida State get screwed? Yes, no, and why? Yes, they got screwed. Um, not because the committee followed what they were, their instructions to pick the four best teams. The problem was that's not what they've done for the last nine years. Um, and, and the situations of the last nine years have just prevented that from happening. Um, they just got lucky. They, they, they settled on a scenario with four teams within five power conferences. This was always a chance there's always a chance. I guess that one year with TCU and Baylor who got left out, like there was always a chance there's going to be more deserving teams. And at that point you're looking for an excuse to put one versus the other and the injury to Travis did it. So I don't think that's how it should be done because that uh, forces the committee to be a prognosticator and project things that are happening in the future when I think it should just be about what ha- what has already happened, which would have put Florida State in. But at least it's the last year of the 14 playoff. I know people have very strong opinions about 12 and what it will do the regular season. I don't think that's – I think that's kind of overblown. But it's at least – but I could also get behind like eight or six or something where you can just feel comfortable that no team that has any, you know, legitimate – uh, case to play for the national championship gets left out, which has happened this year. It happened that one year with TCU and Baylor. So you got to be above six basically to make sure of that. Um, but tough, tough for Florida state. Very tough for Florida state. I will say, I think the committee got it right in terms of getting the best four teams in, especially taking out Jordan Travis. I think it sets a lot of luckily, as Doug mentioned, we're going to 12 next year because there was a lot of, conspiracy theories and whatnot like do you list jordan travis as questionable moving forward so that you have a better chance at uh, absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) he is day to day but there there is there were a couple things like it's it's just it's it's sad for the other 
coaches, players on that roster that one guy goes down and all of a sudden, you know, everyone else is punished uh, for a perfect season. Absolutely. If they end up beating Georgia in the Orange Bowl, I mean, that that's going to probably won't happen. But if it does happen, hang the national championship banner. Uh, absolutely go after the NCAA. Like I completely understand the frustration. Um, but even you know, one of my best friends, shout out to Josh, diehard FSU fan. He said the committee got it right, even though he was devastated. So he, if it's the best four teams, they did it, even if they changed the precedent this year. And the last thing I'll say is that like every single year of the college football playoff, something has happened in the final few weeks to dictate the final four teams. Like there's never been a debate that has been this hotly contested until this year. This was the first time that I feel like things weren't figured out. And this problem that was always, you know, inevitable with five power five champions and a lot of good teams like finally happened. And I think the NCAA kind of, or the committee showed their preference to the SEC and, that's just what happens. It's it's the best four, not the four most deserving. So, yeah, commiserations to FSU, but I think the committee got it right. Unpopular take alert from Matei. Evan? <laughs> oh, I absolutely think Florida State got screwed. I, I, I mean, I'm not. The only downside I see from where I sit on that is the potential bowl payouts that would have gone to the ACC and trickled down to the individual teams. But – other than that, I mean, I think I think Florida State got host, but I do think, you know, I don't care who they would have played if if Florida State goes into the playoffs without Travis. I think that they would get um, curb stomped no matter who they would have faced. They they just did not look very good, uh, you know, with, without without him at the helm. So sucks that he got hurt. Sucks that that had to happen. Yes, they got screwed, but this is college football. It's a big business, and I understand it completely. We'll never know if Tate Rodemaker was the next Tom Brady, but I think we might figure that he's not when FSU gets a quarterback out of the portal in like three days. So that's neither here. The one thing I'll say about that is the committee obviously decided that Florida State wasn't good enough based on the quarterback play, based on the third stringer struggling to beat Louisville 16 to six and the number one team in their ranking has a really a better quarterback and they beat Iowa 26, nothing. They didn't, their offense didn't exactly light the world on fire, but they're the rest of the team is really good, which is the same thing as Florida state. So I, I don't like the, I get the quarterback that Florida state is a different team without Jordan Travis, but that's not to say that they can't figure out how to win games at that point. Yeah, my whole perspective is like you just don't have the right to assert that when it has been seen, especially when you're making your judgment of a third string quarterback who is not even going to be playing. Like when you read these articles that it was the offense in the championship game, which by the way, they still won and held a team that averaged 30 some odd points a game to two field goals. Yeah. And we're, they're, they're judging it based on that. They're the number five defense in the country. There's a very decent chance that whoever they play, they're going to shut down and can win a 16 to 14 game. And they could be the number one defense in the country. They got bored yeah. in half the games they played. 
and went to the second unit. Like, come yeah. on. I don't know. It, it's a bad omen for the respect of the prestigious Atlantic Coast Conference overall. And I'm not quite sure that respect is coming back, unfortunately, one way or the other. I did like, I read this conspiracy theory, that FSU tanked themselves to get their own donors up at a tizzy so they could raise the money to get like out of the that. ACC. I like that. Yeah. I, I do like that level of like 70 chess that's being played there. Probably we, not true. We need $400 think, million, dollars, please. Yeah. It's like if anyone could sell a major company and donate everything straight to the athletic department, please do that. Uh, Florida State would probably, Florida State Booster would probably do it. We need more of those. We need more of those. Uh, all right, gentlemen, we've been at it for a while. Any final thoughts? I'm sure we'll be back here soon once these uh, transfer portal commitments start dropping, and we'll have some great interviews too. But anything between now and then? One final thought. Justice for Jerry Kill not being named National Coach of the Year semifinalist. Uh, New Mexico State, we've talked about them a lot at the end of podcast for those that stay till the very end. New Mexico State has not won more than five games since 2004. Jerry Kill has done it in back-to-back seasons, 10-4 and four this year. They lost to Liberty in the championship. An amazing coaching job, an amazing turnaround. Jerry Kill, always a fan favorite. Build the statue across America on, on every single coast. Jerry Kill deserved to be National Coach of the Year. I can agree with that. Doug, thoughts? I agree with that as well. And speaking of people that stay till the end of the podcast, Evan G. Watkins, not one of them. He just dropped off. But we'll be back soon. When, you might ask? We don't know. Whenever the news comes, folks. Come on. We're now reactionary, not scheduled. But if you want traditional recruiting news, if you want not-so-traditional recruiting news, i.e., whatever the hell is currently going on. If you want the most in-depth preview of Tulane, factoring in or not the players that may or may not play. No, I'm going to factor that in. That's that's not or not factoring in. They're going to be factored in. Well, I want two previews. Right. One, (laughs) if all the players played. A hypothetical Tulane preview. All right. All right. Theoretical Tulane preview. <laughs> if we just played it on uh, NCAA 2024. If we played it on November 30th, what it would be like. Yes, exactly. Either way, inside the tunnel, VT Scoop, 24-7 Sports, Andrew Alex, Doug Bowman, Matasis, and the gone Evan G. Watkins. We thank you for joining. Talk to you soon. As always, my friends, go Hokie.